0: It's Ben. I just wanted to post this quick programming note. Uh, The podcast is going to be a little bit on hiatus. We're going to run a couple episodes that we've recorded already because I'm going to go on baby leave, which is kind of crazy. But before I head out for family time, uh, Caitlin, who's here. Hi, Caitlin. Hi. And I put together some highlights from all the podcasts we made in 2016. And in 2016, we grew into like a real podcast. We've tens of thousands of listens. So we thought it'd be cool to make an episode that's kind of a look back at how we did that. And we're calling it a 2016 Blinkist podcast sampler. I really like end of year sampler episodes. I think it shows how we've grown, what we've learned, um, not only how to make rather nice podcasts, but also how important it is to talk to authors, talk to thinkers, hear them open up about how they come up with ideas that, that really make an impact on our lives. Yeah, so as usual, leave us a review wherever you're listening. Give those apps what they want
1: <laughs> Give those apps what they want What do apps want? We don't know they what want. The bots want. They give want them, likes.
0: Give them the stars. Give them the reviews.
1: Who knows what apps like, but what people like, the people who make the apps and the podcasts is stars. So you can give those.
0: Okay. So let's get right into it. We we started the podcast almost exactly a year ago. Kind of crazy. Yeah, we started playing with the format. We did one episode. We did was called "Is that even a thing?" We're gonna we're gonna run a second. Is that even a thing? Yeah. Um,
1: First one was in Ben's uh, Ben's apartment. That's true. We were drinking carbonated drinks, and Odie was really <laughs> upset about that.
0: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. In our second episode, we told the story of how the office got hooked on a social media app called Peach. You remember that whole. Situation.
1: <laughs> I barely remember Peach, and sadly, I was the one who brought Peach into our worlds. I think so. Uh, <laughs> Peach was definitely a flash in the pan.
0: Yeah, and we 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 got into it. We, um, I mean, I remember you got really into like what why things catch on, mm-hmm. what makes something sticky or viral or something, and you you dug into Jonah Berger's book *Contagious*, which is about how ideas spread. So, to start off the sample episode, I want to play a part of the second Blinkist podcast where you and I are kind of chatting about Jonah Berger's book, Contagious, and one of his key points, which is, if it's built to show, it's built to grow. Let's play it. This idea of publicness. Right. Right. Can you you go on?
1: I could go on, but I think you really like talking about this one.
0: (laughs) I just like this one quote, this Jonah Berger quote, to keep talking about Jonah Berger. It's John O'Berger, cool. <laughs> we love you. We're out here. He says, if it's built to show, it's built to grow. Um, I mean, I think this is kind of, I don't know if he says this in the book, but it's like the basic thing of like a logo
1: mm-hmm. on a
0: shirt or something. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you just have something that, that the brand or the product is showing. Right. And if you don't add the, if, if have nothing to show, nobody can see what other people are using. They're not going to, it can't go viral if nobody can see what it is. Right? Right. So... What do we have? We have two good examples from Apple.
1: We do. Speaking of of logo, actually, it has to do... The first one that we have um, has to do with the the Apple logo on the top case of all the MacBooks. Because? Jobs really, really sweated the orientation of the Apple logo on the top case. Um, At first, the Apple was faced in such a way that it made sense to the user when you closed it. So the Apple was facing toward you like a normal Apple.
0: Right. Like picture that. Wait, just for the people listening. If you picture an Apple, if you picture the Apple logo with the like bite taken out and the little kind of apostrophe looking thing on top of the Apple.
1: Also known as a leaf.
0: Also known as a leaf. <laughs> thank you. Or a twig or something. Right. If you, the nub. If you the close nub. your MacBook, the nub. <laughs> if you close the, the MacBook, the nub is actually facing you. you, which is upside down.
1: Yeah. For the user.
0: Fine. So, but Jobs hated it at first.
1: Well, he worried about it because the more he saw his own product in use, the more he worried about whether or not an upside down Apple made a good impression and made sense to the onlooker. So you go into a coffee shop full of people working busily on their MacBooks and you don't want to see or on Facebook um, or on Peach. No, you can't use Peach for web. Anyway, you don't want to see a bunch of upside down apples. So they decided to flip it.
0: Right, and so it's upside down to me when I close the MacBook, but when I'm
1: it's right set up to everybody else
0: when I'm in the cafe. Right,
1: so the public, the onlooker, was more important. And if you know, it's any indication of um, success, which I guess the mass um, use of MacBooks are. This was a really good call on Apple's part.
0: Right, it's it's built to show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, About it's to built
1: to show. It's it's for the viewer.
0: All right. So next one. What do you think?
1: Um,
0: Just so we go, we'll go chronologically. The next episode we did was about the jewelry company that dressed Beyonce.
1: Oh, right. That, yes. Uh, Laura Wass, Emily's friend.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was cool. But the next clip I want to play is from your interview with David Allen. You like knocked out of the park. That was such an amazing, amazing interview.
1: Oh, man. Well, I have to also thank Therese for that, too. She helped with the prep, but David was also just great to talk to. It was a really nice experience. Let's let's find a good part of it.
0: Wait, just so before we get into it, just in case anyone doesn't know, David Allen is the productivity sort of wizard man right. um, behind the book Getting Things Done, mm-hmm. which... All, Huge
1: Blinkist favorite.
0: Right. Um, you spoke with him last spring, mm-hmm. and um, the part I think we should play is this. You asked him if he thinks people have a calling
1: Right. That was such a wonderful portion of the interview. Yeah. So let's cue that up.
2: I don't know that, that I would say that everybody has a calling. I think everybody has a unique signature about what they do. And you know, the more authentic you are with that, the more you're probably going to be gravitate towards something that resonates with, with uh, you know, wh- what your talents are. So I think there there is a there is an appropriate use of one's talents. I think if you if you have talents and are not using them, I think there'll be a, a kind of an edge and a frustration that that people will have until they you know line those up a little bit better.
1: Yeah, going off of what you just said a little bit, do you have any advice for for young people who are just at the start of their careers about about finding their signature, about finding what they should be doing quote unquote with their lives? Is there anything that you would recommend to them?
2: Yeah. Uh, be willing to embarrass yourself with whatever your fantasy is about what you would really love to do in your life if you could truly have it the way you wanted it. Oh, wow. And and then ask yourself, what experience do you think that would give you? And then ask yourself, what could you start doing right now that would start to give you more of those kinds of experiences?
1: Mm -hmm. You said be willing to embarrass yourself about what you think your
2: dream is. You want to be, you know, do you want to be prime minister of, of, of Germany? Do you want to be the, uh, the, an incredible rock star, you know, musician? Do you want to be, a, the, you know, the great American novelist? Do you want to be, uh, I don't know, you know, but what, what's, your, what's your fantasy? What, what, if you truly could be whatever you wanted to be and time and money were no object whatsoever, what would you be doing? And, you know, give yourself permission you know, but again, people are often too embarrassed, even internally, to be willing to admit that's really what I—that's w- really what I would love to do. Uh, but you don't have to tell anybody, so you know, <laughs> so just don't don't be too uncomfortable, at least with yourself. But ask yourself, you know, let's suppose you say, uh, I, I actually did that exercise one time, many, 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 many years ago, when I was confused about, didn't know what I wanted to do, I wanted to make sure I picked the right thing. You know, didn't know what my destiny was. And, oh, my God, what if it's the wrong thing? And, oh, you know, I just agonized over that for too many years. And then uh, had a friend ask me, he said, well, what is your fantasy? And I said, you know, and I just, I was willing to admit, I said, you know, to be president of the United States. You know, and uh, I used to carry around a penny in the U.S. You know, when I was growing up there in the, as a little kid because of Abraham Lincoln was on the penny. And he was just my, my, my hero because uh, he just affected so many people you know, in, in such a positive way. And then my friend asked me, he said, so what do you think that experience would give you? I said, well, it would give me people's attention so I could be able to, you know, to help them. And he said, well, what else could you do right now that would be that you could uh, be able to support people and get more people's attention? And I, I forget exactly what it was right then, but I went, oh, okay, got it. And you know, I started to move forward to start to move toward those kinds of things that gave me more of that sort of internal experience, and have a look back since.
0: Oh, and your interview with David Allen probably gave us the best line of two thousand sixteen.
1: Oh, uh, one that Nicholas is always rambling around and
2: saying. <laughs> I think yes. That, I think let's just play it. Being productive just means producing desired results or experiences.
1: Mm-hmm. So then, how is how is how is a high doing person different from a highly productive person?
2: Yeah, they're pretty much the same thing. Okay. I mean, a, a, a achieving a desired experience. I mean, if you go to a party to boogie and you don't boogie, that's an unproductive party, <laughs>
1: right? Yeah, boogie. Um, <laughs> David Allen knows exactly what he wants out of life, and sometimes it's to boogie. Um, it was really fun talking to him and getting to know a little bit more about him and his uh, flower arranging, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I was surprised at how how normal. He is. I, it's not that I expected David Allen to be abnormal. It was that he's he has these wonderful productivity systems and you expect a certain sort of demeanor from someone who specializes in what he does. And he was such a, a wonderful, lovely, warm human guy.
0: Yeah. And I I think of that as sort of a turning point for the podcast this year. We mm. we realized we wanted to do more of that, you know, like these really good, warm interviews with with authors trying to get behind these people, figure out how they tick a little bit. And, you yeah. know, we didn't want to just... Be cheerleaders we wanted to like show the people behind these ideas
1: yeah and the next one you got is a woman who is oft referenced and much profiled but you got to actually talk with her about her new initiative that was the uh ariana huffington interview yeah
0: yeah that that book the sleep revolution puts mm-hmm. on a lot of these end of the year yeah top lists
1: it's definitely in our our top three i think most added and most read on oh, biggest really? yeah yeah oh, awesome. Did, yeah people really liked it
0: So, yeah, so let's do that. Let's play a clip from my chat with her. There's something about the sleep book that really feels like some things inside of you is like driving, like this is so important, almost like you're afraid we're going to destroy ourselves or something.
3: (laughs) Uh, Yes, actually, I do feel that way in the sense that there is a lot of suffering in the world and there is a lot of suffering that we cannot immediately do anything about. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is suffering that we actually bring on ourselves. It's self-inflicted. And I use the word suffering deliberately because it has such a profound effect on our health. It literally affects every aspect of our health, from obesity and diabetes to cancer and heart disease uh, and Alzheimer's and I've explored all that in the science chapter because I want people to really change their minds about the importance of sleep profoundly, not just pay lip service, oh yeah, yeah, when I get enough sleep I feel better, but actually recognizing the damage they're doing to our health. Both immediately, we all know anecdotally that when we are run down and haven't slept, we're more likely to catch a cold. Mm -hmm. Or um, we are more likely to overeat. But now we have the science that shows that actually when we are sleep deprived, all these hormones are activated that actually make us crave all the wrong things like bad carbs and sugars. And it's kind of ironic that often there are people who get up super early to to go to the gym and one of their goals is to lose or maintain their weight and they're surprised that in fact they're overeating during the day to try and power through and uh, deal with their sleep deprivation. But so this is kind of the obvious stuff that we can all recognize from our lives. But then people really haven't known until very recently the connection between sleep deprivation and Alzheimer's, how it, was, it is actually during sleep that there is this frenetic activity in the brain of cleaning up all the toxic waste that has accumulated throughout the day. And if we don't give our brains the opportunity to do that, all this toxic waste accumulates. And that's uh, the buildup that leads to Alzheimer's.
0: Right. You know, there's this idea that, uh, a wrong idea that when we sleep, nothing is happening, right? That that yes. sleep is wasted time somehow. Exactly. But in Chinese medicine, for example, they've known for thousands of years that it's as important as eating. It's nourishment. But how do so how do you convince people? Like how do you battle this kind of short termism? I can imagine a startup founder saying, if I get four hours of sleep for two years, but get that funding, then I'll be rich and then I can sleep. Like how do you make that argument to people, you know, against the well, short term thinking? I think
3: it that's why I'm saying it's so essential that people read the science and understand the science first because if they're not absolutely convinced of how imperative and non-negotiable sleep is it's going to be much harder for them to change their ha- any of the habits i suggest we need to change in the book so the first step is to recognize that it's not only their health that is impaired but their productivity and creativity and decision making which are of course absolutely essential for good founder decisions. You know, okay, let's say I don't care about my health. I'll pay the price uh, short term to build my company. But all the evidence shows that the prefrontal cortex, where where a lot of this executive functioning and decision-making is housed, is dramatically degraded when we're sleep-deprived. And the fact that three-quarters of startups fail (laughs) should actually be a warning that maybe if we got enough sleep and made better decisions, so we would have a better better results with our startups.
0: Right. To me, this is such a money quote from your book. A CEO who's bragging about getting only four hours of sleep a night is essentially saying that he or she is making decisions while drunk.
3: Yeah, I just Instagrammed that today, so actually. Good. <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah, so sleep
1: was a big thing in 2016. I said that this, uh, Ariana Huffington's book, The Sleep Revolution, was in the top three or so. I believe that the 2016 best of list has, mm, the three top books are on sleep, believe it or not. Uh, we'll publish that on the magazine soon so you can go check out the uh, 2016 most popular ones. But I'm pretty sure the first three are on sleep. I guess it's uh, pretty important to people these days.
0: Yeah, it's like the year of sleep. <laughs> the year of sleep. And it changed... We we talked about this in, in the Is It Even a Thing podcast. We did. Com- coming up, but it's it like changed you a little bit also, I think, the sleep mm, thing.
1: Yeah, and actually this interview, believe it or not, or the Ariana one.
0: So the next little phase of the podcast was about where good ideas come from. Yeah, I love these. It was cool. We didn't know internally. Remember, we, we had all this talk about Eureka. Are people going to get what Eureka is? Mm. Um, should we focus on sort of this Eureka moment, or people who are just always creative. I talked to Pagan Kennedy, who wrote Inventology, and David Burkus, who wrote The Myths of Creativity. And we talked about this where good ideas come from just a little bit of background we talked about incubation David Mm -hmm. Berkus and I and Mm -hmm. this is this is a concept that aha moments eureka moments come often after a period of incubation which means you sort of do the work you do the research you're faced with a challenge Mm -hmm. and then you step away from it you go to sleep or you work on something else you let your mind rest and when you step away from the problem it solves itself your brain kind of puts it together yeah and the basic concept is that you have the answer
1: yeah which I think is it's so amazing. It's its lovely to think of our mind as that kind of an intuitive processing machine. It's doing it when we're, you know, cooking dinner or in the shower or whatever. In fact, I think I remember reading in one of their books that the shower is like one of the best places yeah. for incubation because all of your senses get drowned out and your brain can just do the work it needs to do. It's uh, it's lovely to think that your, the ideas and the right answers, like you said, are there. It's just a matter of figuring out how we best let our brains come to them
0: themselves. Right. And it, there's something like democratic about it also because it's like we're all we all have these good ideas. We just have to practice.
1: Mm-hmm. Practice harvesting them.
0: Yeah. Mm. So so this is that part. This is when I, when David Berkus and I talked about incubation and how we all have these good ideas. We just have to know how to find them. So this uh, this thing of it's already in there. It's like you already have the great idea.
4: Yeah. Right? No, I mean, you, you already do. And there's, there's a bunch of different theories about why incubation works, but my favorite is selective forgetting. So what's the selective forgetting kind of theory? says is that all the all the ideas all the raw material is already there. But if you've ever like if you ever tried to work on a problem and you you think of the same wrong answer over and over again, Mm -hmm. like what's happening is your mind kind of functions in connections. It's why you have to retrace your steps, go from what you were thinking about three or four times to. and and follow that chain of thoughts. Again, we think in that chain and and often we can get really stuck in a specific chain when it's the wrong answer. So we take up the problem and we find ourselves at the wrong answer because we're just retracing the same steps. Incubation and selective forgetting basically says that when it's in your subconscious, those that chain is kind of breaking apart and allowing new connections to form. So everything is there; you've just got the combination wrong. And when you're incubating and selectively forgetting, you're opening yourself up to new possible combinations. And one of them is probably going to be the one you need. Mm-hmm. And and every and you believe your book makes the argument that everybody
0: has this basically the same. It's like a great blessing that we all have somehow.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It, well, and blessing is actually a good word for it because we, we tend to think that there's like this class of people that are blessed with creative ideas uh, and then there 's this class of people that aren 't creative and and the truth is it 's a blessing that we all have. We all have this capacity. We just kind of have to understand how our own brain works and also get back into practice a lot of times when the people who say they, they can 't have great ideas don 't they 're not very creative. What they actually mean is that they haven 't been challenged to have one for you know the past five, ten, fifteen years because of whatever life and career choices they made, and so they 're out of practice and really the only thing that separates those people who would classify themselves as being super creative from those that aren't is that level of practice. How used to this process are they? How familiar with it uh, are they? And can they do it on demand or not?
0: Yeah. So that was, that was a little clip from the David Burkus episode. I really liked that interview. Um, it was also a very popular one actually, according to our SoundCloud stats. So that's cool. And all right, let's jump forward to this fall. Just, just a couple months ago, mm-hmm. we asked one of our co-founders, Nicholas Jensen. To interview Vishen Lakhiani, the CEO of Mind Valley, sort of a cult figure to many people, that was that was quite a episode.
1: Quite an episode, yeah. It was it was pretty intense, and it, but it was really nice too. I think what I liked about that is um, that you, not that you weren't the interviewer, but it was nice to hear um, a, a fan talk to a fan. <laughs> yeah, in a way, yeah. Nicholas really appreciates Vishen's way of doing things, and it was it was cool to hear the enthusiasm come through.
0: I think them nerding out about their breakfast shakes <laughs> was one of my highlights of the podcast this breakfast year. Breakfast
1: shakes are important, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing to hear how Vishen thinks about optimizing absolutely everything, or just finding better ways to handle his routines.
0: Yeah, I mean, we were all we were all pretty impressed by the intensity of it, and uh, you know, I, I apparently hit on something. I mean, this was like a bestseller from the minute it came out. Like, you know. The, his book was called uh, "The Code of the Extraordinary Mind." It also came out this year, and it like tore up the charts. I mean, this is interesting. There's something about this optimizing thing, definitely mm. resonates with people.
1: Yeah, I think it might also be his sort of like rebel approach. Yeah, how you know I'm going to make a new word. No big deal. We're just going to do this. <laughs> right. right. Um, and I the, part of me kind of kind of giggles at it. That's the part of me that studied 18th century literature, but part of me really <laughs> respects it.
0: <laughs> so, what should we? Wh- which part of it should we play?
1: Um. Probably Vishen telling Nicholas about his morning routine. I think that's, the, that's probably the best example of his general approach. All right,
5: let's do that. I think I remember in Berlin, we talked about morning routines. Um, so since it seems that you reduced your workout time uh, for, every, for every day, like how does your morning routines look like? What are you doing in the first, let's say, 60 to 90 minutes of, after waking up?
6: Well, what I do when I wake up, um, other than taking the kids to school, this is my morning routine. I start with a particular meditation process that I put together called the Six Phase Meditation. It's very popular now, over a million people do it. And um, um, it's something I designed. It's based on six different principles of hacking our mental abilities and our human mind. First phase is compassion, so I do a compassion ritual. Then I do a gratitude ritual. Then I do a forgiveness ritual. Okay, all three of these are designed to elevate my levels of happiness and bliss. Then I focus on my future. I um, visualize my life three years ahead. Then I visualize my day unfolding perfectly. And then I pray. All three of these are designed to make me feel optimistic, powerful, and to look forward towards the coming day. Next, I go and I exercise. Now, that entire meditation takes about 20 minutes. Sometimes I go on to half an hour because I want to just sit back and breathe, right? Then I go on to exercise. Now, typically, I use the Microsoft Band, which is a really cool device, and I do Tabata exercises. Tabata can take takes me four minutes, so I do a very high-intensity four-minute exercise. Mm-hmm. Studies have shown that four minutes of Tabata can be as beneficial to your body as 20 minutes of regular exercise. Next, I go and I have my optimized breakfast. Now, my optimized breakfast takes me four minutes to make. It is a shake. I use JJ Virgin or GNC as the base powder, and then I add moringa, wheatgrass, um, camu camu, and chia seeds to it. And it's basically um, super-fueled nutritional shake that um, elevates my brain processing. Sometimes I add MCT oil to it, elevates my my brain processing, gives me energy, and just makes me fully energized um, for my morning from the time I start my morning to lunch. So that's really what my morning ritual is. Now, this is the most optimized ritual I know right now. In the future, I may find something more optimized, but functioning like that keeps me fit, keeps me mentally alert, keeps me happy, keeps my body fueled, and allows me to just function really well on a day-to-day basis.
1: Intense, (laughs) intense. I think I need a break. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's a very intense morning, mm-hmm. um, but something to learn from, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are looking to improve that like first ninety minutes, and definitely that's sort of like the gold standard.
1: Really, yeah, absolutely. The, I, mean, the, the, I think that's why the Miracle Morning on Blinkist always does so well. People are always just like, please help me get up in the morning, help <laughs> me, ma- help me make my morning worthwhile, make it better, <laughs> and help me not want to crawl back into the covers and never get up again. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean. Uh, Real
0: talk, a lot of the authors we spoke with this year like shared this really focused approach. I mean, you could call it intense, you could call it mm. focused. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason why these guys are successful and why they write these incredible books, I think. I, you remember the Cal Newport interview, for oh, example? Oh,
1: I could not forget the Cal Newport interview. He's That, that is a very focused man. Um, that's the whole point of his newest book, Deep Work.
0: Right. And um, Deep Work, again, just to give a tiny bit of background, if you haven't heard that episode, it, it's a really simple idea. Newport argues that in today's economy, the most valuable asset you can have is being able to, like, be able to do deep work, to work deeply on something. What does that mean? It means be able to focus on a difficult problem or challenge for a long period of time with no distractions.
1: No distractions. That's hard. No email, no phone. You have to at least get rid of those two things.
0: No nothing. He was talking about doing eight hours at a time of, like, math problems.
1: Oh, my God. I can't
0: even imagine that. Right, and the really interesting thing to me, and the thing that stuck with me, there's this paradox. I think in in definitely in startups, but in a lot of in a lot of companies, where we have all of these communication tools now, it makes our jobs totally easier to do. You can work remotely, you can have you can work asynchronously, but all these communication tools also make the quality of our work worse and worse. You can't. Mm. I mean, we all like Slack. Slack is great, but how are you supposed to write a great article if you can't focus because every 10 minutes you get like 40 slack questions and gifs and jokes and lols and whatever you know no what comment
1: I mean? the struggle is real str- <laughs> <laughs> all right so maybe we should talk about the part of the interview um that features the that consulting team that turned off their email
0: yeah yeah, yeah. i agree i agree we this part of the interview cal and i cal and i you know mm. Besties. Kel Best. <laughs> uh, Newport and I um, we're talking about how people, how do you start this deep work approach if you're constantly distracted? And the way you start is you focus a little more and a little more, you get like small wins, it snowballs into deep work. And then you start realizing, like these consultants did that you're about to hear, that turning off your email is actually a good thing, mm. even, mm-hmm. even when it seems really, really painful. Mm. So let's play that part and then and then once you're kind of in then you're in because it's you start getting better and then once you can focus you can learn more and when you learn more you like it you get better at it you start doing more i mean I, I i feel like a like a snowball kind of effect in your book um i mean you go you go to like great lengths to kind of defend your defend this thesis that deep work is important but to me it was kind of like once you buy the first premise it all falls down after you know what i mean
7: yeah, and it is definitely a snowball effect. Uh, when you go from a completely scattered ability to focus to a reasonable ability to focus, you get these early wins, and then you say, "I like that," and thus I'm getting value out of it. So then you're more comfortable persisting, and then you get better, then you get better. You know, it's just like breaking the seal on exercise. Mm-hmm. If you're a complete couch potato, and it's it's really hard, right, to get out there and start doing the initial daily jogging or whatever it is. But then once you're doing that, and you've gotten used to that. Then it's actually much easier to do sort of ramp up. Okay, now I'm going to increase the mileage now because now you're in the habit of it. You're like, okay, I get rewards from doing exercise. And so now instead of just uh, training for a 5K, let me train for the triathlon. That's a much smaller Mm -hmm. jump than going from I don't do any exercise to you know I'm training for the 5K. It's the same thing with focus. I mean, most people right now, especially of a certain age or below, live the cognitive equivalent of a couch potato life. They <laughs> never go more than five, 10 minutes without some sort of novel stimuli delivered through their phone or computer. And so that jump from that to a world in which you on a regular basis are able to go long periods without distraction and have some comfort with it. That's the big jump. You do that. Then you're, you're set. Now you're, now the snowball's rolling and you can get better and better. Right. It's, was
0: it on your blog or was it in the book where there's the example of the, uh, was it a Boston consulting group study that they just didn't check email for a day for one day out of the week.
7: Yeah. That was Leslie Perlau's work at a Harvard business school. Uh, and she convinced it was really hard, but she convinced a team within Boston consulting group, uh, that everyone would have a day off, a full day off from email, any communication. And they were, you know, they were convinced (laughs) that, that, uh, that's the end of this group. Like our clients will rebel. Nothing's going to happen. And, only good things happened. <laughs> so there right. was no the clients thought their service went was better. Uh, the the employees were more you know relaxed were, were producing at a higher level and you know every once they broke that seal it really helped open things up.
0: Yeah we take this we take this pretty seriously in the content team. Um, one of our colleagues, hi Claire, if you're listening out there um, she almost completely turned off slack for a few weeks after reading the Cal Newport book. She works remotely a lot. She found she got a lot more work done that way.
1: That's not surprising to me, actually. it's It'll be really interesting to hear how people deal with this. Um, I really like how for Cal Newport, it's not just about emails and Slack and communication, but also about structural things like open floor plans and this pressure people in the knowledge economy have of looking busy. I'm super familiar with that. I mean, I I write all day, generally, or I used to. <laughs> now I'm just busy doing other things here. But if if I see people moving around, I, I can't focus on my computer and on whatever I'm writing. So I, I really identify with that. And the whole looking busy thing, man, there's nothing that, that linkus believes in more, I think, than you should never just be looking busy. Right. You, actually do stuff. Yeah, actually do stuff. Be be effective and but
0: it but it ties to this Ariana Huffington thing. Yeah. Which is that, you know, people kinda lost the plot. Like in all this, all this tech stuff, all of these, all this commitment on working so hard, all these new tools, staying super late at the office, sacrificing sleep or losing focus in order to respond to emails really quickly—that's not going to make you a better worker. It's not going to get you a promotion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It'll make you sick. Right. You know.
1: Yeah, that's the sad irony of it. It's where where we have all the um the optimization tools, and it's just making things
0: worse. It's cool to see like themes going through the podcast yeah. interviews. Mm-hmm. All right. Should we do one more or is that it?
1: Um, let's do one more. Yeah. Okay.
0: So we're, okay. We're talking right now. It's early December. Um, in the last month, last four weeks, we put out three podcasts that are really cool. Actually. We, um, we put out interviews with Dan Ariely mm-hmm. and Ari Mizel which were really well received and I think pretty good. And then we also put out the story of the Blinkist Reband. What do yeah. you, which of those three
1: Oh, man. I really loved the Arielli podcast, but that was really recent. So let's reach back a little farther. Um, I like the Rebrand podcast. It showed a, a different side of, of what we can do on the Blinkist podcast. And you were pretty ambitious there. And you went back to telling a story that shows how people deal with new ideas and challenges at work, but in kind of a, a different way. So um, why don't we do that?
0: Okay, let's um, it's not that long of an episode, but it's hard to pick like a part of it. Mm. I'm tempted to play the part where you're you are front and center.
1: No, let's not do that. Let's not do that. You've had <laughs> enough of me in this podcast. Let's talk about... Or why don't you play up the part where where Natalia explains how she created the logo.
0: Okay. Um, let's just play... I'll just play the whole chapter. The whole logo chapter.
1: Okay. Chapter 2, Part 2. Fine. We'll do it ourselves.
8: Natalia started with with a few different concepts.
0: That's Sarmishtha Pantam, one of the other designers, talking about how the process worked, how they scrambled to make a logo themselves from scratch.
8: What exactly does Blinkist personify? So we had this idea of filtering something into something that's valuable, like a bunch of information or an infinite thing into something finite. I was the one probably in charge of like creating and producing visuals, but without them, we probably I would have ended up with like Something completely different, it's like if it was just on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was good because they put me in the right path or in the correct path. Like some days where I was trying to um, come up with like concept, even like way uh, late in the process. So it's like maybe I can do something else. Maybe I can come up with a, a librarian. Maybe I can come up with an animal or something <laughs> else. And so I just like focused on what I already had and. Uh, just listen more to like what they liked, what they were, what they thought was strong. So then she developed a system that like led her to this final logo. And if you look at the logo, it has a very specific. Um, it's very simple, but also it's very harmonic in the sense that it's got this negative space, a positive space, and very geometric, modular structure.
0: Wait, I want you to hear Natalia explain this herself
8: okay the white space so like the canvas space it's the the outer world so the world we live in full of inputs full of information probably too many complex um, notions that we need to digest and intake the green represents the Blinkis people so the different circles like individual coming together getting together in the circles which is our structure and working together and then uh, on the top there's this negative space triangle, like a filter which is there because all the information from the canvas goes in and gets filtered into this like darker area which is the essence, distilled, um, all the concentrated, darker, uh, valuable information which is placed there in the middle, in the heart of the green area (laughs) and it's there in focus. Do you like it are you happy with i like it i i'm i'm happy now i i think it, like conceptually it's really strong but this this is our story behind it's simple uh it's impactful i think and yes i think it's it's blinkist
0: yeah that was a that was a super super fun podcast to make it was nice to go back to telling stories i mean remember we started the podcast last year telling stories just so kind of return to it at the end of the year was fun and we got we got cool feedback I I don't know I'd love to make make more stories me too people are out there want blankets to tell your story yeah <laughs> hit us up let us
1: know um gonna hire me as a podcast storyteller Ben sure alright guys if you think Ben should hire me <laughs> um let us know <laughs> you know maybe we should play just a little bit of the Zell interview mm,
0: one more really
1: yeah I think I got it in me you
0: I can I can make it if you can.
1: Okay. All check. right.
0: All right, Myzel. Uh most popular podcast over the past few weeks. We talked about his book Idea to Execution. Yeah. And I would play the part where I asked him about his favorite automation that he built up. It's incredible. That's what I would play.
1: Mhm. Do that one, yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, so I wanted to ask you wh-
5: which automation process are you like most proud of that you've ever built up? so i i the the hiring one I had to well, okay, the podcast one is is definitely up there, but the hiring one, I think is actually the one I'm like the most excited about because that's something that i'm I'm continually tinkering with. So can we break it down? Let's break it down, yeah, absolutely. So first of all we we do a lot of stuff on Trello, which is for project management for people who don't know do you, are you do you know are you from Trello yeah yeah, yeah, yeah we're
0: we're in Asana company, but yeah, we dig.
5: Okay, so that's fine. Um, (laughs) I I have I have have pros and cons to both, but that's fine. So uh, I have moved our entire hiring platform over to Trello. So I was there's so many companies out there now that have like hiring and onboarding platforms like uh, Onboard IQ and Recruitee, and uh, we were using Workforce from Intuit. And essentially, all they are is like assembly lines. Basically, they're just moving people through phases. So I built it myself in Trello. And it's a Trello board along with three Wufu forms and eight Zapier zaps, three of which are multi zaps. <laughs> you know, so like this whole it, thing it, sounds like a
0: Doctor Seuss. The whole thing sounds like a Doctor Seuss book somehow. It's ex- amazing,
5: absolutely, and it's actually <laughs> funny. So I read I read Oh the Places You Go every night to my kids. Yeah. So uh, that's I, I actually think about that quite a bit. Um, <laughs> and you know, sometimes you'll you'll be in a lurch, and unslumping yourself is not right. easily done. So. Uh, <laughs> basically somebody applies on a wufu form wufu is just like for people again who don't know it's like type form or uh, gravity forms it's just a, a website that helps you make forms i just like wufu particularly because there's a lot of flexibility in terms of what you can put into it and also it automates really like you can plug into it with automations really well so they fill out their application uh, part of which includes them doing a youtube video of themselves and their resume and then they have to answer like a test uh, task question so they fill out the wufu form it creates a new Entry a card in the Trello board as a new applicant, but it also posts just their name and their video into our Slack, our manager Slack channel. Okay. So right away, the managers can just see the video and be like, thumbs up, thumbs down, and decide if we're going to even go to an interview stage. Then, if I want to give them an interview, all I do is I drag the card over to the next list, which is interview offered. And that in- that activates a Zapier zap, which sends them an email saying, you know, congratulations, like we'd like to do an interview. Click this calendar link to schedule an interview right they do a 10-minute interview with us uh with some very uh, some questions that i'm 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 very like fond of asking in interviews and okay uh I, I try to like focus on people's weaknesses as much as possible and how they handle that kind of situation because everybody can talk about how great they are right so then if the interview is good and then i drag it over to the next list and they get to uh an email that has them take a Personality profile and a basic skills test from a company we use called higher Select, which has been a real game changer for us. So uh, the skills test is pretty obvious; like they have, it's like verbal, spatial reasoning. It's basically just, you know, can can you read and write, basically. And then mm-hmm. the personality profile is a fascinating one for us because they have a profile of what they think, like the company does, of what they think a customer service related person should have, and that's a lot of what we sort of do it's, it's the best thing to map to somebody that works for us is like customer service
0: mm-hmm.
5: and uh that's in terms of competitiveness and stability and uh teamwork and all that stuff and so we get a good profile there if that looks good then they go to a background check we use a company called OnFido, which does the background check for them and all this is again activated through trello
3: mm-hmm. and then
5: if that works then they get dragged over to documents uh, signing, So they, they get to sign our onboarding documents, which is all done through writesignature.com. So they fill out their uh, NDA and their contract agreement, their W-9 and all that stuff. That gets submitted. Then they move on to onboarding and they get uh, what I'm constantly refining as a, a really cool onboarding training video and setup because we have to put them on all of our systems on Slack, on Trello, on 1Password, on Toggle, right. and then our own custom dashboard. And basically, every time new hires come in, I ask them, you know, what what are some questions that you still have after going through the, the training? And then once they tell me that, then I just make a screen and add that to the training. And I'm really trying to like, nice. chi- yeah, I'm trying to chip away to the point we're pretty close now, where somebody can basically come through the automated aspect of the training and be ready to like start working right away.
0: Speaking of intense processes, I've actually, actually, to his credit, I've been messing around with Zapier since I talked to him. I was trying to figure out how to run some extremely complicated pranks on Slack using it.
1: Like what?
0: Like pranks. I can't, I can't tell you what it is.
1: Oh, I'm nervous. Okay. Well, this was fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Fine. Um, I think we made good stuff this year. Definitely. Is there anything you would add? Ben. Just off, just off the cuff. Put you on a spot
1: off the cuff. I don't know I really I miss doing podcast stuff with you. It's nice being being here to uh, to go through some blinkist podcast stuff and reflect. It's important to reflect. I think that's like one thing that that we read in like all of the books that we have on blinkist. It's important to look back on what you did so you know how to move forward and you feel good about what you did in the past. So hope that um, all of you who are listening have a nice reflective end of year and go into 2017 with high hopes and doing good stuff.
0: Awesome. Good way to wrap it up. Thanks for listening all the way to the end of this 2016 Blinkist podcast sampler that was produced by me, Ben Schumann-Soller, and Odie Constantino, who's just about fed up with all my jokes about him. Many thanks also to Caitlin for coming back to the studio and helping me out with putting this episode together too. I'm really, really excited to work on some new podcasts, new episodes in 2017. Uh, it's a good time if you have any feedback or suggestions to, to let me know. Just email podcast at Blinkist.com. Let me know who you think would be cool to hear on the podcast, or if you want to hear more stories, I'm, I'm a very flexible podcast host. We will resume regularly scheduled podcasting after my baby is born. And uh, we'll be back in just a few weeks. In the meantime, be good. This has been
5: Checking Out.